Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shalaios, along with Governor Gary Herbert, and we are taking your calls at 801-575-8255 or your texts at 57500. Uh, Governor, the Supreme Court has made a decision on keeping the citizenship question off of the census for now. What is your reaction to that? Well, again, it's a decision that's just come out, so I haven't really had a chance to explore it in any detail other than just kind of glossing over uh, the opinion, which was uh, passed unanimously. But the underlying questions, uh, there is division in the ranks as far as the answer to those questions. So it's a little unclear. It's probably a little complex. Um, I understand the motivation, and I think as a policymaker that knowing of your citizens, how many are, in fact, U.S. citizens and how many are not, could help us with policy. It's something that would be a factor. It gets a little more... I guess, controversial when you say, okay, those who are non-Americans, non-U.S. citizens, are they uh, here documented or undocumented, legal or illegal? And that's where people get a little bit concerned about that kind of information. Well, they're concerned they won't fill out the they form. Won't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there will be lack, uh, lack of accuracy. Um, so having the information probably is helpful, how you acquire it, how you get the information, rather than some kind of guesstimate or extrapolation from other information you've got, I guess, remains to be seen. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens, what develops out of this decision, because I don't know. All right. Let's take a call from Kelly now in LaSalle. Kelly, hi. How can we help you? What's your question for the governor? Hi. uh, I would like to ask the governor this question. Are you continuing to work with our federal representatives regarding the Antiquities Act, either trying to do away with it or amend it so that we can better manage our public lands here in Utah. It's a common topic of conversation. In fact, I just got through meeting with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, and it came up in the conversation with him. It's more in line with our BLM properties and public lands issues. Uh, The Antiquities Act, which was the early 1900s, was designed to give the president the ability to protect antiquities as they define them, but doing it, doing it with the smallest area necessary to protect, you know, the antiquity that's in, under question. And it's not the use of the Antiquities Act that's a problem in my mind. It's the abuse of the Antiquities Act that's become the problem. Uh, presidents seem to think in terms of let's make it as large as we can as opposed to under the Antiquities Act to make it as small as is necessary. And so that's part of the problem. There is efforts to modify the Antiquities Act so that you have to get at least the local congressional approval or the state legislature's approval so that there's buy-in from a local community. There is the idea of doing away with it. I don't think that's going to get traction. But there was also the possibility of adding 
uh, just two words, and Utah was the two words that were proposed by our congressional delegation, so that we're exempted from the Antiquities Act, uh, just like Alaska and just like uh, Wyoming have been done. And so they continue to work on it. It's a topic that comes up all the time. Our congressional delegation is working to find ways to bring kind of a practical fairness to the local communities. It's just we say, well, they're all public lands, and so everybody else outside of this state, Utah or any other state, uh, shouldn't have much to say about it. But, in fact, it does impact the backyards. And so, uh, yes, we're continuing to work with our federal delegation to see if we can't make an improvement to the Antiquities Act. Governor, our first text question is about the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley, he's known for giving back to the communities that he's in and hopefully increasing our chances of bringing a championship to Utah. Uh, The texter wants to know how you feel about adding Mike Conley to the Utah Jazz. Well, I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, it's clearly uh, something that the Jazz are signifying, we want to win something now. And it's not a matter of us see if what we do in the next five or ten years. And so I think the Jazz ownership and their management is saying, well, let's, let's do what we can to make our team a contender today as soon as possible. So the addition of Connolly, I think, is going to help. He's clearly one of the premier guards in the, in the NBA. And so I think it's all positive, and the message it sends to us as fans, I think, is a positive one, too. Governor, our next caller is Brent in Salt Lake. And, Brent, what is your question for the governor? Yeah, yeah Governor. Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if there's any legislation brought to your attention on uh, mandatory ID for credit card use. I think uh, if we could get something that like that signed into law, it would eliminate a lot of credit card fraud and also for the consumer because nobody anymore these days checks for ID. But yet there's so much fraud out there. It needs to be stopped somehow, and I was wondering if there's any legislation that's brought to your attention on a type of bill that's mandatory, just well, like you're buying beer. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Um, it's always been a puzzlement to me, too, that uh, it seems like that less and less, fewer and fewer stores ask for ID when they take a credit card. Maybe that's because we have PIN numbers, and, and they think that uh, only the owner will know that when we have... In fact, identification fraud and people steal identities and have the ability to do some mischief. I know if you wrote out a check, which we still do some of that today, don't we? Uh, there seems to be more of a propensity to ask for your identification to, to establish you are who you claim to be. Uh, so I don't know whether we need a new law for people who aren't enforcing the existing law or it was bad practice. Uh, clearly, you and your bank on your own credit card and your own checks should have some kind of an agreement that if somebody steals my check or my credit card, you can immediately stop payment. And that means that the establishment now is on the hook. So you'd think because of that that the establishment would say, before I take Brent's credit card here, let's make sure that this really is Brent and ask for a ID check. Um, Checking IDs, for whatever reason, is becoming a little bit more controversial around the country, which I am puzzled about. For example, people are tying this to voting. you got to produce ID, prove who you are in order to vote, which seems like only a reasonable request. But we have some areas of, this, of the country where they think that's suppressing voter turnout and suppressing people's ability to, in fact, vote. 
I don't know why that is, uh, but uh, that's part of the controversy, I think, and part of this ID law that maybe we need to take a look at. So um, I'm going to get back to the office today and talk to my own general counsel and see what laws we have on the books that are required to have an ID check with your credit card or a check and see if we have laws on the book or if we need to put new laws on the books. I don't know. Governor, our next texter says, we have a huge budget surplus. Why don't you refund some of it, he says, or she says, that they could sure use it? Well, the intent uh, is to, in fact, not spend more than we need. And uh, we do have some surplus, but that's by design. Uh, when Oling Walker was in the uh, legislature, uh, wisely so, she said, you know, we need to save for a rainy day. And so we have what's called a rainy day fund, and that does have about $700 plus million in that fund. That's one of the reasons that when we went through the Great Recession of 10 years ago, that we came through that much better than most states because we had some savings to bank on and to help bridge the gap. So having a surplus is an appropriate thing. Uh, what's the amount, the, the correct amount of surplus we should have? Uh, more, most people think you have six months if you're a private citizen uh, of your annual income. Our $750 million doesn't even come close to mm-hmm. that. But uh, the idea of having a entity fund to bridge the gap is an important thing. Now, right now we're doing some tax reform and some tax modernization and having some public comment. And uh, there's been some confusion as far as what our surpluses are that we have. As you grow the economy, if you do this correctly, you have the ability to have more revenue, to fund education, to fund infrastructure needs, health and human services, all those things that we, the people, think government should be involved with. And having a healthy economy that drives uh, creates more money. And that allows us to not have to have a tax increase and allows us to fund in a, what is now a very fast-growing state, the increasing demands for state government. So it's a combination of what's the right amount of surplus. Some of the surplus is one-time money rather than ongoing money. Uh, one-time money cannot be used for ongoing expenses. We don't do that. It's not like the federal government does, but we don't do mm-hmm. that here in Utah. That's a, what's called a... They need a rainy day fund. They do, and they need to have a a fiscally prudent approach to things, not have structural imbalances. Because if you borrow money to pay for this ongoing expense, what are you going to borrow the next year? Uh, it, it, that's why we have $22 trillion plus debt at Washington, D.C. We don't have much debt here in the state of Utah because we don't have structural imbalance. So there's one-time surplus. That's about $500 million. We use that to build roads, to build buildings, one-time issues. It's spent and it's gone. Ongoing money is used for ongoing expense, revenues, salaries, labor, those kinds of things. That There's a reason why we have a AAA bond rating from all the rating agencies on Wall Street. We're one of only 10 states because we're managing the taxpayers' money very appropriately. And we don't spend more than we take in. We do save for a rainy day. We don't have irrational debt. We have minimal debt. And uh, we grow the economy as the way to pay the bills first and foremost. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. You are listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. Your calls are being taken at 801-575-8255, or you can text us your questions at 57500. We'll be right back. 